Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I've got a very special guest. Her name is Jillian Coburn. She is an entrepreneur, two-time published author, advocate, inventor of the Mommy Go Bag, outdoors woman, and mother of three. Jillian Coburn is passionately committed to supporting and elevating women who often have nowhere to turn. A survivor herself, Jillian helps other women living with abuse, teaching them how to get out, heal, and build a better life. Jillian is a co-owner of NOLA, Prestige Electric, a women minority disabled veteran-based contracting company. Jillian was recently appointed to the board of directors of SCSA, where the entire board unanimously voted for her to ascend to the chairman of the board of SCSA. She also sits as the vice president of women's support programs. She also was on a committee where she and her colleagues triumphed, passing Bill 492, allowing victims of childhood sexual abuse to have their day in court. Now, in its final form, the statutes of limitations has been completely eliminated, and there is a three-year retro, which is a look-back window, which now covers all survivors and victims. Here next to states to conquer will be Texas and Michigan. Her dream is to have all states follow the new trend of eliminating the statutes of limitation for childhood survivors. Energetic and involved in speaking and outreach, Jillian continues striving women and men in situations of domestic violence to get out safely. She also has been working with victims of the Boy Scouts of America, victims, human trafficking victims, and those who need to escape but empower them to pursue the life they've always imagined. Healing, listening, and providing tools is her expertise. Jillian spends her time on the lake or at her home creating new books. She is readily involved with TAASA and ETT Women, Women Warriors Group, and is readily involved in her children's lives. She enjoys traveling and spending time with her kids. She lives and works in Lago Vista, Texas, with her husband and three children. She has written the book, My Ugly Truth, After Abuse, which can be found on Amazon. I will put all the links in the podcast notes, and I completely welcome you, Jillian Coburn. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. I'm so glad to have you on because you've done so much passing a bill, Bill 492. I mean, just to jump into it, how hard was that to do? It was quite surprising to tell you. I never thought that I would be part of change for the future of the children and, of course, the survivors that never had their day in court to, you know, have and stand in front to provide justice. And um, I'm, I'm super thrilled. Um, I'm motivated to extend that reach and to continue that, you know, still board of, hey, let's get everyone the justice that they deserve in every single state because most people who are survivors don't come out until the age of about 63 years of age. Mm-hmm. And so tapping into legislative and them agreeing, well, you only have a certain amount of time, it's kind of not fair. And so to allow victims to come forward and be able to begin their healing process, I think is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's good because when something like that happens at a very young age, I'm sure they compartmentalize it 
And then it comes out as they even raise their families, they start remembering things. Triggers. Yes. It's stuck in the frontal lobe of our brains and Mm -hmm. then smell, you know, the senses that we have, something can um, just basically unravel it. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that. Because there's so many different ways that people cope with trauma. They can freeze up. They can fight or flight. And, you know, it's interesting to understand how our body protects ourselves. So we may not have noticed that growing up, some of the certain um, things that happened to us were abuse, but we only know what we know, right? And Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to educate everyone amongst us to know that this is more of a stigma, that people don't want to talk about it, and becoming aware, educating our students, educating our children, educating our educators, and of course, you know, our police, um, CPS, OCS, all of these organizations so that they're aware and to take action. Because I would hate for anyone um, to have the injustice of not being spoken out um, about what had happened to them. A lot of times, um, survivors, um, it happens within the home. Mm-hmm. Abuse does not discriminate. It does not at all. It can happen with your neighbor. It can happen within your home. It can happen within an organization. It's all about the control that the predator has that he does to his victim, he or she. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those people have no remorse. They have no conscience. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad because when you finally, you know, I've worked with several victims who have come forward and they've approached or, you know, had their day to where they asked their victim, their predator, hey, why did you do this? And a lot of times that predator's like, has nothing to say. And it's like, Wow. But, you know, that just goes to the whole narcissistic personality and the traits of a sociopath and tends to have a lot of traits that a predator does, you know, have, which is control, power and control. Mm -hmm. And that's like the the coercive control that they just continuously manipulate their victim with. It's sad. There was a story um, I heard from a victim in Louisiana and she was being abused by her stepbrother. And she never came forward until he died. And she was afraid to alert her mom because she didn't want to break up the home that the mom had created. So there's a lot of guilt and shame that a victim faces and embarrassment coming forward about what's happened to them. And to basically compartmentalize and break down what's happened to them, it's challenging for some. And there's a lot of roadblocks that a victim experiences when they do come forward and they're like, well, why did I wait so long? Well, there's a lot of obstacles that they were waiting on. And in the long run, I think that providing that safe environment and letting others know, hey, it's okay, I'm here for you. Let's provide some action and show them that they're going to be heard. Because a lot of times it's not, the justice that a person really wants is just to be heard, to be Mm -hmm. told, hey, it wasn't your fault. And maybe they were told that, oh, you know, this is okay. I I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, even um, men and women where it's happened within their home and it's done by a parent that's incest. And so they're embarrassed and shameful and and, and they thought it was the normal thing. You know, they thought that they were the prize or that it was something that everyone did experience. And then as they grew older and they actually educated themselves, they're like, whoa, I got to look at this, like, 
I was being abused. And so I just think as being an advocate, it's important just to be an active listener and provide those help, the help, whatever that may be, just listening or providing them resources that they can tap into so that they can begin their healing journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they probably tell you when, when they come to you that their own families have retaliated on them because now they've brought this yeah, believe them. Right. Sometimes they'll say, oh, I don't believe you that, that you're, you're making that up. And it's like, that's why most people don't come forward because they're told that they're lying about something and they're not. And that's a lot of just shame going on. It's a lot of just processing in your brain. Like, well, my family is saying that this never happened. Like maybe did I make it up and second guessing themselves and you shouldn't second guess yourself. If it doesn't feel right, nine out of 10 times, it's not right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know this or they have low self-esteem because this has happened to them. You know, how do you um, elevate someone's self-esteem? There's a lot of tools that I provide. First thing is to, you know, stop worrying about everyone else and begin worrying about you. Knowing your self-worth. What does that look like? Stating those affirmations. I'm good. I'm enough. I'm worthy really reflecting on why you're still here. A lot of times people are like, man, I just wish I was dead. I wish that, you know, I wasn't even here. I deserve this. No one deserves that. Mm -hmm. God created all of us. And there's a reason why we're still alive. There's a purpose. And in order to find that purpose, you have to look deep within and know that, hey, I'm okay. I'm worthy enough. And a lot of times we, people who are victimized have no self-worth and it's a recite. It's basically a repeated cycle. You, you know, I can attest, I was in several um, domestic violence, abusive relationships, and I repeated the same cycle over and over. And it's because I didn't feel that I was worthy enough. And until I really looked at myself like, man, you're badass. Like you deserve everything. You deserve to have that voice. You deserve to stand up for yourself because you were here what is your purpose and really acknowledging what your purpose is. And it takes a while, you know, it took me years until I realized that I am worthy. I deserve so much more. Um, I guess my aha moment would have to be, you know, um, when I left my first husband and he would tell me, you're never going to find anyone. You have two children. No one's ever going to love you. And it's like, we align and agree with others think of the judgments that they think of us. Well, that's not true, you know? And it was really hard for me to get out of that repeated cycle of hearing I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And so I I tell people it's super important to start that day off by saying, Hey, I'm alive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm worthy. I'm enough. And even ending that day with, the three things that you're grateful for, or even things that you contributed to others, because you do see, Hey, I am worthy. If it wasn't for me, I wouldn't be here. That Mm -hmm. person wouldn't have made that one step or maybe, you know, I'm being able to provide a future because a lot of times we sit and we resonate in our past. So I try to elevate that person to know that there is a future providing a roadmap. I, I, the whole reason why I wrote my book was because I wanted the book to be like a friend a good friend because good friends tell you, Hey, that's not right. Um, a bad friend's going to be like, yeah, keep doing that. That's, that's okay. You can put up with that. And I think I wanted to write the book because I never had any resources. I never knew that there was things that I could 
tangible items that I could go to and actually process what had happened to me to get better and to better myself for my own children, you know? Um, so when I'm working with someone who has children, I'm like, well, is there any way that you can really focus in on how your children need you? Can you imagine if you weren't there for them? How would that look like? So providing a whole nother, um, I guess, dialogue for them to look at instead of I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this because there's so many resources that you can tap into that can elevate you. Um, we don't have to go into the scarcity role of like, oh, I can't do that. I can't. Well, change what's coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. I can't do that instead of I can't. So it's just a lot of dialogue going on with our own selves and retraining the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we treat ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's important to heal because you've got to be able to you know, help other people. Like if they have children, they have to be there for them emotionally fit as well. Um, do you also, I'm sure you also see people that are heavily depressed. Yes. And, you know, uh, may, maybe they're crying all the time. You know, have you, you know, maybe encourage like a physician? Do they, you know, to see someone? So a lot of times when I'm, I'm noticing a disassociate disorder, noticing bipolar, schizophrenia, things like that. Um, they're like, well, I, I, I can't go get help. I don't have insurance. And I'm like, well, technically, if you don't have a job and you don't have anything, you can actually get free health care. And that free healthcare can provide resources. So I actually help them identify where they're at and find them the help that they need. Um, I use, there's um, a site that I use, I can't think of right now, it's on my, um, my search engine that provides them different types of doctors. And even if you have a severe case, I love to suggest for them to take the time to walk into um, you know, a hospital and let them know I'm having these thoughts Mm-hmm. Um, they'll take you and then you'll be able to be put into a treatment facility program. And then you really could process everything you've gone through. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a lot of people don't need medication. Um, and a lot of times people are scared to take medication mm-hmm. and there's other modalities that you can choose to start creating better choices and better dialogue for your own health, your own good, you know, because it is a disease. And when your disease, the definition of disease is not at ease with yourself. And so in order to really understand that, hey, something's not okay within me, but there's other ways that I can heal myself to make me feel better, going outside, taking walks, and really just appreciating everything amongst you. You really don't center into that whenever you are facing depression. You don't know what's wrong with you. You don't know why you're feeling that way. And so it's really important to really dive deep within and identify those triggers, those things that are emotionally making you unstable. You Mm -hmm. know, I I tell people, you know, addiction is something that I see a lot with survivors that they turn to alcohol or they turn Mm -hmm. to drugs in order to cope, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I I try to tell them and share with them that's only going to mask the bandaid. It's like a bandaid. And as soon as you stop, the pain's still there. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I'm a firm believer in EMDR. EMDR is phenomenal. It's been life-changing for me. Um, it starts with the first trauma and it's like a timeline. Whenever you're working with your therapist, um, it really dissipates the energetic charges that we get 
when we have those sensations of the traumas that we've experienced. And I, I definitely suggest people to try that. Um, there's so many resources out there that I, I think are amazing that we're doing new discoveries of new testing. And it, it's amazing to see how our brain, we only tap into probably about 10% of it. Mm -hmm. Our brain can be rewired, but it takes work and you have mm -hmm. to be willing to do the work. If you're not doing the work for your own self, no one's going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. No one can tap into your brain and tell you what to think, what to do. You have to do the work. Mm -hmm. Now, have you counseled families and the victim at the same time or? I haven't really done that. It's been more one-on-one -on -one work. Mm -hmm. I can attest that abuse affects the entire family. Mm -hmm. It's not just that victim. It's affecting the children. It's affecting the siblings. It's affecting your mom and your dad. It's affecting communities too. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize the triathical effect that happens when this does take place. It's affecting everyone. Just like I know that if I would have stayed in an abusive relationship, I'm teaching my daughter that, Hey, it's okay to be bullied. It's okay to be beat up. It's okay to be treated this way. No, that's not true. And then I'm also teaching my boys that it's okay for a man and for them to be the way that that abuser is in the family, in the dynamic, you know, and everyone should be cherished, everyone should be appreciated, and everyone should be looked at as a beautiful being. That's why we're here. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, I think it's important too, when this does happen, that there is group therapy going on so that everyone in the household is familiar with what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. um, a very quiet and docile child may be experiencing depression and they're afraid to talk about it because mom or dad may not be doing anything for their own self. So again, our children are really watching us mm -hmm. and they're taking in every single thing that we're doing. So it's important to be very conscious about what we are showing them, you know, presenting them as a, in, in, for instance, a table. If you're setting a table out, you notice how people eat how they, you know, who's going to eat first. And the same thing goes with the whole dynamics of a home. You are teaching your children what they're seeing at the same time. So it's mm -hmm. just really important to be mindful of that. You know, if you are in a situation, you know, have someone to go to, have someone to talk to and have that action plan of what you're going to do and execute it and make sure that you are going to do it and not dabble back out. And that, that happens a lot with people who are facing domestic violence relationships. The hardest part is leaving. Um, and it's, it's scary. It's scary because you've been told that you're not going to be able to make it. And that's not true. I've met so many people who are brilliant and gone on to become doctors, to go on to become attorneys, to become teachers because they chose themselves. Right. They've, they've got to help us. Like maybe some people are stronger than others. Do you think? Absolutely. Um, you know, I know when I left, it was so hard. The first time ever leaving, I thought about it so many times and I just couldn't do it. I was I had no ability of knowing that I had the power within me. I had a college degree for God's sakes. And I could have gone and just got a teaching job and told my mom, Hey, I need help. But I was so embarrassed. I was so shamed. I shamed myself and mm -hmm. it's a scary thing, but it's important to elevate yourself by surrounding yourself with people that really truly care and are motivating you to be your best self. Mm -hmm. 
and there are, I'm sure there's relatives that, you know, hear that now this person is getting help and then they chastise them. I've heard that there's, and, um, go ahead. Oh, you no, you go ahead. Um, there's a group member, um, I was listening to and a show that I was doing last night and, um, he, no one talks to him and it's because mm -hmm. he came out about something that happened within the family. And so he's exiled from the family unit and that that's, that's heartbreaking, you know, um, because you decided to speak out about something and now you're being told you're alone, but he shares that he's not alone, that there are memories of his grandfather who, and grandparents who took care of him. And he tries to, you know, know that his relationship with God, who he believes in, mm -hmm. is something that he always focuses in on whenever he starts to have those sad and grief feelings that he's been exiled from his own home. So it's, it's sad mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking, you know, and it's like, what do you do in those types of situations? You know, um, it's okay to divorce your family members if they're not um, being treating you unfairly. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Just because they're family, it doesn't mean that you have to take the more abuse, you know, um, it's okay to step back and realize, Hey, I got this. I can find other friends that are like family that are supporting me and elevating me to be my best self. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's very true. I'm so glad you said that. Uh, because some families, you know, regardless of the situation, whether there has been sexual abuse or not, I mean, families have different dynamics. And uh, it's like when when you go to TJ Maxx, and you see, you know, those signs that say family together, you know, th things like that. It's like, I look for the ones that say friends forever. <laughs> hey, you realize that your best friends become your family. Those people that supported you at your worst moment. Mm. That's what a family is supposed to do. Love you regardless, unconditional love. And it's, it's, it's a sad thing, but it's a reality to know that it can happen. It does happen. We are amongst a population of, Oh, it's a secret. Don't say anything. It shouldn't be a secret. If it's a secret, then um, it's probably not right. <laughs> right, right. And I think it's some of that cancel culture mentality where they just believe whatever and don't, you know, there's two sides to the coin, but um, I don't know. I don't know what to think of that. <laughs> I agree. It, it, it's hard for me to process, right? Um, I can remember the first time that I thought about leaving because of abuse. Um, I had a family relative say, well, you know, it'll get better. It happened to me. And it was like, what? Like you allowed this? Like, no wonder why things look the way they do in your family, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't want that. I want my children to be overachievers. I want them to be the best versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm just showing them that I'm a piece of poop and anyone can walk all over me. And mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to feel like that, but I, I, I can't imagine being in an environment where I was being castized because I decided to better myself, mm -hmm. to take think, care of myself. Yeah, I think that happens in a lot of families. I think, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I, I don't know if you know any statistics. I don't, but I, I see this in a lot of families when there's something going on or someone has, you know, become a doctor and then suddenly, you know, the, their siblings really don't want anything to do with them because they went and achieved something and they're jealous over that. Yeah. 
I haven't really done any statistics on that, but I'm curious now to know what the level of, you know, wrongness for bettering themselves, you know, like why, I, I guess I don't understand it because my mom always wanted us to be educated. She always wanted us to like do whatever our heart told us to do, right? Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it is, do something for yourself. And I can't imagine being told, Hey, I don't want to have a thing to do with you because you decided to become a doctor or you decided to like be the CEO of your own company and you're, you're rocking it, you know, mm-hmm. gosh, I, that, that must be hard. Those must be a lot of emotions to, um, digest. I, I, I don't, I can't imagine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad what people go through. Some people have really hard lives. Some people have really easy lives. I can't figure it out, <laughs> you know, but you want people to thrive and get better and not live in the past. Exactly. So, you know, how do you tell a patient, you know, don't live in the past, just keep thinking of like have hobbies, do things to. So um, I ask them, what is it that they want? If they could design their own pathway, what would that look like? You know, the definition of, la- of, of wanting something is that you're lacking something. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to draw it out, write it out and create the life that would be fitting for you, you can do it. It just takes a lot of work, just like a lot of mental work that we have to do within ourselves to keep motivating us to move forward. Same thing with financial, right? Mm -hmm. Financial abuse. When you have a partner who is constantly saying, well, I pay this, I do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, that whole dialogue. Well, how could you create something? What are you best at? What does that look like? Let's talk about that. So I like to tell people, write out what you would like your life to be like in five years. That's Mm -hmm. simple, right? Just writing Mm -hmm. something down. Okay, well, maybe they want to maybe they're good at like painting rocks. I know that Mm -hmm. sounds silly, but I try to help them like, okay, well, there's free sites like Etsy. You can put your stuff on there, you know, but let's be realistic. If you're wanting to be financially on your own, you're going to have to get a job. Mm -hmm. So what would may not be what you want right now. There are a baby step to starting what you can be, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I know there's a lot of women's shelters out there that, design programs to get work for you and work that you actually want. You know, I have a degree in education and I have no desire whatsoever to be a teacher ever. Right. Right. And, um, you know, and you don't have to have a degree to be something. There's so many entities, different things that you can do that you can elevate yourself and create the money that you never had. Right. Mm -hmm. It just, again, takes the work focusing on the future, focusing, creating, you know, those, um, gosh, I can't think of them right now. I do them every year at the beginning, um, like a manifestation board, right. Mm -hmm. Going to library, the library has tons of magazines that you can take out and then just like seeing something, um, and putting it, the law of attraction is true. If you say something, you see it, um, you'll see on my mirrors, I'll have like affirmations of like what I desire and what I want. Right. Mm -hmm. And it really does work. And it's just changing that mindset, putting that energetic pathway 
you know, there's different pathways, energies that we are creating. So we're attracting it. So if I'm constantly in blame, shame, disparity, well, guess what's going to happen? That's all that's going to come to me. But if I'm in wealth and abundance, I'm going to attract that. Things are going to come to me. You have to be willing to take it however it may look because the universe is going to go knock on the next door and be like, hey, I'm going to go ask the next person. So you have to be openly available for possibilities that come forth for you. And just, it's just experiment with them. If you don't like it, okay, cool. I've had so many jobs, like, you know, until you truly find, like, that's my, my son, he's having problems. He's like, I don't know what I want to be. And I'm like, it's okay. Like you're a junior in high school. You're not going to figure that out until later on, you know, just because your sister has it figured out, you know, it does not mean that you're not going to be able to figure out, but whatever you, your heart is desiring you to do, do it. Whatever is making your heart beat, do it you know, and I think you have to really be passionate about something. And when you're really passionate about something, it's going to just show up, you know, <laughs> I've created so many different things and, um, I'm always constantly changing and that's okay. Change is good. Mm -hmm. When we're in that same pattern of thinking possibilities won't show up. We're all infinite beings and it's just tapping into the possibilities that are sitting literally right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And I feel sorry, or I feel bad for the people that maybe they're not ready to move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, um, stuck. yeah, they're stuck. And how do you help them get unstuck? Well, like we were chatting before, yeah. um, I'm not going to chase anybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to not judge that person. I'm going to be an allowance and awareness of, hey, that's where they are. I've given everything. I'm not going to exhaust my own self. I'm not going to pull someone or drag someone out of a situation until they are ready. Mm -hmm. And until mm -hmm. you're ready, you can only make that choice. I can't force anybody. So I'm just like, okay, this person's not there yet. I'm just, I'm not going to provide my help any longer because I don't want to be mentally drained. I don't want to attract that. You know, I've worked so hard to be where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, I'm, I'm okay with saying, well, that person's just not for me. They're not ready mm -hmm. yet. And when they are ready, they'll come back and I'm, I'm my door is right open, but you got to be able to take those steps. You mm -hmm. yourself have to be willing to do it because I'm not going to be chasing you down. Right. I had no one chasing me down. Right. Yep. <laughs> I don't, maybe people think it's just too hard. They don't want to confront it yet. And their family maybe is being very nasty to them and they just are really stuck and they don't want to maybe rock the boat because they're afraid to lose some right. family members. Yeah. I, I, it breaks my heart because I, I've seen a lot of people who just stay and they stay and it's like, you're affecting it's it, you're affecting your children you are not being your best version of yourself and you have so much potential what what are you doing you know but it's i i believe mental illness is a, a very big thing and whenever you're not addressing knowing that there's something wrong with you you're going to stay you're going to you're just stuck you're going to mask yourself with alcohol. You're going to mask yourself with some form of addiction. Eating is an addiction. Um, spending is an addiction. There's so many forms of addiction out there that people are masking these pains because they don't want to face it. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, again, I'm not judging it. 
it's mm-hmm. their choice. Anything and everything is possible. But again, you got to be willing to do the work. I'll keep saying it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, you know, as we um, can I ask, how long did it take you to write your book? Tell us about your book. So I began writing my book about 2010. Mm -hmm. And um, I had got out of a very abusive relationship where my face was fractured. I was working for a nationwide author and she really inspired me because she would write all these books. And I was like in charge of like publishing them and putting them on all these networks. And so um, I not only worked for her, I ran her nonprofit and I just had to stop this cycle of abuse that I was doing since the age of 16. Mm-hmm. And again, I wanted to be able to provide a resource, not a doctor, mm-hmm. not someone who's never experienced it because I've been to so many therapists who say, oh, I agree. Well, have you ever been abused? Do you know what I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. I wanted my book to be a friend. I wanted the person reading it to know that I'm human too. I've had choices that I've made and created the life that I created by making those wrong choices. I'm not a perfect person. And so I began writing about 2010. Um, 2011, I allowed someone to come stay at my house and had this HP, tiny, a mini HP and had all of my transcripts on there. And um, he was a friend of mine that I went to high school, but he was a drug addict and he ended up pawning the laptop and I lost all the material. And fast forward in 2013, um, my husband, I got remarried and my husband was like, you need to quit this job. It's a stressful environment. It it didn't, it wasn't, my job had become taking, being a caretaker for two women who were drug addicts. And I'm like, I can't be doing this. Like, it's so stressful. Like I'm being a codependent person. I got to let it go. And so my husband's like, you're, I was pregnant with twins. I lost one of the babies because Mm -hmm. of the stress. And so I decided to quit my job and I began writing again. Mm -hmm. And, um, it took a while and I decided to hire a ghostwriter to help me write the book. And, you know, you live and you learn. Um, I went through two different ghostwriters because um, they couldn't get my language out the way that I wanted it. I wanted it again to be a guidebook. I wanted people to have things that they could reflect on, things that they could be aware of and begin there. And I wanted to share a little bit of my story. So again, people can know that I'm not this like multimillionaire who decided to write a book. Like I'm a normal girl who has had a lot of traumas, you know? Um, so. I would say about 2017, no, 2016, I was almost done with my book and um, my husband was being deployed um, again Mm. for the military. So I had to kind of take a break and um, be present and be like a full-time single mom. And um, 2017, um, the ultimate abuse happened. I was abused by a priest. Mm. And so I felt that I needed to address spiritual abuse in my book because that's not talked about. Mm -hmm. And, um, 2018, I finished the book and, um, I began my book tour in 2019. And Mm -hmm. so it covers all forms of abuse, sexual, Mm -hmm. financial, 
um, verbal, mental, um, spiritual, every single form of abuse and identifies what to look for and what you can do in those circumstances. So again, I wanted to write the book and, and provide a roadmap for people in shelters, people um, who don't have anywhere to go. I wanted my book to be their best friend to walk them through a very difficult journey. And I've helped so many women and men get out, get safe and do what's best for them. Mm-hmm. That's very important. That sounds like a great book. That's what people need. They, they need like a roadmap. They need guidance. Some people have no idea who, where to turn, who to go to. And um, where can people find your book? It's on Amazon. So it's simply easy just to Google my name, Jillian Coburn, and it'll pop up. After writing this memoir, I had to do something refreshing. So I wrote a cookbook. And so they're like, that's completely opposite of what you've been doing. <laughs> but um, something I love to do is cooking. And um, it provides a lot of ease. You know, you talked about hobbies that make you feel good. That's mm-hmm. something I love to do is cooking. I love, you know, painting. That's something also I love yeah, to do. Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it's very tranquil. And so I think when we find that median of what makes us feel good, do it, mm-hmm. do whatever. Oh, makes definitely. <laughs> well, the book that you, you wrote, your second book is spicy Cajun with love for Southern Louisiana food, quick and easy recipes written by a spicy Cajun South of one ten. I tend So there's a joke. Oh, I, I'm, I'm originally from Lafayette, Louisiana. And so that's Cajun country. And so we joke around with um, Northern Louisianers because um, the Holy Trinity is called onions green peppers mm-hmm. and garlic right. and, and there's an, another thing. So like I joke, we joke around with our um, like people from Alexandria or Shreveport. We're like, that's not Louisiana. You don't even use a Holy Trinity. So mm-hmm. we like to be specific because like certain things that you won't find up North is like boudin. Mm-hmm. You won't find, um, you know, your mixings that you need. And the greatest thing about living in central Louisiana, south of I-10 is that we always have fresh seafood. So <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Very That's... comfort food, a lot of rice and gravy. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> so how long did it take? Now, I mean, that how one long took me it... a quick second to write. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, they're easy recipes. So a lot of times, um, when I was a single mom, I had to, you know, have food ready for my two older ones when they got home. So like um, red beans and rice is super easy to create. And Mm -hmm. um, it was a fun book. It it was really fun to be able to make all these dishes I already create. And then just basically, you know, just do it, you know, Mm -hmm. like just write it out. And I did it on my own. And I think that one took me like six months to write if that, um, it was fun. And so I had a lot of fun. It wasn't, um, very deep and dark and <laughs> you know, addressing um, those abuses that I wanted to do something that was refreshing for me. And, mm-hmm. um, it was very therapeutic. I'll tell you that. Well, that's excellent. That's excellent. So, um, you, you readily involved yourself with TAASA um, TASA. So that's Texas Against Sexual Assault. It's an organization mm-hmm. based out of Austin, Texas. Um, there's a task, for, task force group that has 
so many different unique people that are working on human trafficking, that are working on sexual assault. Recently, Texas just passed a law to where they had all their rape kits. They were just sitting in this, I guess, you know, center where they weren't processing it. And so they put a lot of pressure and they created a bill to where they were processing all of the rape kits. And so um, they were putting them into the system. And I think that's important because a lot of times when you have someone who has been assaulted or abused, it, it's not like they're in a system, right? A violent offender, there, it is. It's in um, the NASPI um, reporting system. So when a, a cop does come on, um, they know that there is a violent offender in the home. But um, I know that they were working on a systematic approach to put abusers in that system. So when they did get a call and it was a strange call, um, the police were, will be notified that, Hey, this is a victim and, um, how can we get them into a safe environment? And, um, I think that's tremendously amazing because, um, a lot of times offenders will just, you know, find their predators and redo mm -hmm. it again. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're vulnerable, you're easily coaxed. You'll, you'll, you'll be one of the, what are their prey? They'll prey upon you, you know, um, but they do a lot of great work. And um, I'm really hoping that we can definitely, you know, put the punchline in there and do what we did in Louisiana and open up the statute limitations for those Texas folks that um, have been denied justice. And I think that's super important. Mm -hmm. I think that's excellent. Um, I think that police officers, um, a stigma that I saw um, moving out here in Texas and being part of TASA and being part of these webinars is that um, a lot of times police officers don't believe you or they're like, oh, she deserved that. Uh, she's a prostitute and she put herself in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of times people who have been trafficked, it started because they were in a group home possibly they were in um, CPS care, mm -hmm. you know, and something happened. And again, if all you know is what you know, you're going to just provide that lifelong um, statistic that no one's going to believe you, no one's going to help you, and you're going to create the same thing over and over again, you know, and I'm glad that they're educating police officers. I'm glad they're educating nurses to have better bedside mm -hmm. manner to really take victims who decide to come forward. I mean, that's like a really hard thing to do is to go to the hospital and say, hey, I was just brutally battered, you know? Um, what do you do? They're supposed to notify the police right away. And so a lot of times they don't because there's a stigma of the way that you look, the environment that you're coming from, they're not gonna do it. So um, I think it's great that we are now educating everyone about this so that they're more mindful when these types of cases come into their office, into their hospitals, and whenever they go out to serve and take care of people, you know? Oh, that's excellent. That is. Um, I'd like to have you back on the show again, if you like. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the more we talk and spread the word, you know, maybe someone out there will be listening and uh, may want to contact you. How do you want to be contacted? They can reach me um, on my email. It's simple. Hello, H-E-L-L-O at Jillian, J-I-L-L-I-A-N, Coburn, C-O-B-U-R-N.com. I'm really great about contacting people right back and 
providing whatever I can. And I love collaborating and getting ideas to see how I can help within that community. Maybe, you know, your state hasn't opened up those laws, you know, how can we get, you know, a task force, a team of survivors to come to write to their legislators, say, hey, you know, how can we change the law? Because the law can be changed. It just takes a lot of manpower and numbers to speak. Right. A lot of work, a lot (laughs) goes into that. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to add? I just, I want to thank you. Thank you for having this and having me and allowing me to speak because ultimately we have our voices and it should never be muzzled. Exactly. Keep talking. I always tell people, just keep talking. Keep talking. Someone's going to hear you. (laughs) Definitely. Well, uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with um, Jillian and other guests and for another exciting episode. Thank you, Jillian. Thank you.